With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Further your future with the postgraduate course at the Institute of Art, Design and Technology, Dunleary. Join us for our virtual open evening on Wednesday, 19th of April at 7pm. Find out about our unique industry-focused postgraduate courses in film and media, UX design, cyber psychology, equality, diversity and inclusion, business, art and design. IADT Postgraduate Open Evening, Wednesday the 19th of April at 7pm. Visit iadt.ie. Infinite complacency. People went to and fro the earth about their little affairs, serene in the assurance of their dominion over this small, thinning fragment of solar driftwood, which by chance or design, man has inherited out of the dark mystery of time and space. Welcome to another episode of Into the Fray. My name is Shannon LeGrow. On this episode, I have a chat with author and investigator Luke Phillips on cryptids, big cats in the UK, and one of my favorite subjects, the Lions of Savo, also known as the Ghost and the Darkness. You can pick up Luke's books on Amazon or anywhere fine books are sold. The first for Luke Phillips and his Black Beast books is Shadow Beast. And also, the second tome, the newly released The Daughters of the Darkness. Video footage from my trip to Fox Hollow Farm keeps rolling out for insiders. New content up for insiders, specifically from Fox Hollow Farm, is video from inside the apartment above the garage. If you have seen the episode on Paranormal Witness done about Fox Hollow Farm, this is where Joe LeBlanc experienced running apparitions, shadow people, phantom footsteps, and the constant pounding on the front door. He also shows me where knife marks are forever embedded in the wall in the kitchen there. He believes that someone was killed in that very spot. Also, a new addition to insider content that I recently came up with is titled The Quick Draw, and I named it that based on my love of Western movies. 
And I'm sure that some of you know that Tombstone is one of my favorites, so I entitled these little bits The Quick Draw. These are mini-video episodes honed in very specifically on one subject. Doesn't mean that it won't get covered on a full episode at any point in time, but for these, that is the flavor. The debut of Quick Draw is all about the Yucca Man. Go to IntoTheFrayRadio.com and click Become an Insider. It's only $4.99 a month or $54 for an entire year. Also, Into the Fray merchandise is available by visiting IntoTheFrayRadio.threadless.com. In whatever podcatcher you listen in on, please take a moment to rate and review. This helps others find the show means more personal encounter stories coming in for you to enjoy. And of course, if you have a story to share of your own, please contact me at shannon at endofthefrayradio.com. A last little mention here, Sam will soon be back in the States, and we will be doing some Into the Randoms and getting the guys back on. Be sure to catch Ryan's new show, Somewhere in the Skies. You can find that in the same podcatchers that you find Into the Fray. And also, when it comes to Sam Sheeran, it's been a while since I mentioned this. This month on Sam's Patreon, you can win original art created, signed, and dated by Mr. Sam Sheeran himself. Please visit patreon.com backslash Mr. Sam Sheeran. As always, thanks for listening and for your support. And now, on to Luke Phillips. I have on with me for this episode of Into the Fray, Mr. Luke Phillips, who is, of course, across the pond, as you will be able to easily tell from his lovely accent. So he is the author of Shadow Beast and The Daughters of the Darkness, which are based around cryptid cats, which... I, I don't know if you want to explain the whole, like, are they actually cryptids in your book, or are you going off the more the Savo lions where they actually were uh, born and bred and they have flesh and blood and then they end up killing people, which we're going to get into the Savo lions, of course, which is long overdue for a, uh, a coverage, a proper coverage where I will not call them female lions on this <laughs> episode. So uh, yeah, if you could Luke, just kind of give us a little background and I want to talk about your books. In terms of the books and the the beasts that are the the centre of them, um, all I'll say is that cryptids do feature. So um, there there are little Easter eggs in there for for people who who like their cryptids, and there's always a, a little sprinkling of uh, 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 of other monsters anyway. So normal cats of some kind feature in both books, but there are also cryptids to look out for, and I, I think that's probably the closest i can go without without giving away any spoilers or that, that's right absolutely yeah i have shadow beast sitting here uh to my left on the desk and and then the other side i don't have the daughters of the darkness yet but i will get that i want the hard copy uh, i've got well, I, um, I would definitely send you a copy it's it's it, uh, the, the the first proof copy is sitting with me today so uh, oh, it's uh, i will get get copies out to you so yeah, and as I said uh, through Messenger, that cover is extremely fitting, and I, I like the uh, I like the style and the flavor of just the cover. I think that sets the tone for the whole thing, right? Oh, definitely. I mean, I mean, I really wanted. I mean, we, you, you and I are both big fans of the Ghost in the Darkness, and. Yes. Um, 
I, I wanted something that definitely captured that flavor as such. So, um, it, and I think it absolutely nails it without a doubt. So you, you get a whole idea of the, the African landscape, um, you know, the sort of the, the, the sort of the, the turmoil, you know, the turmoil, the, uh, the, the reign of uh, a terror as such that, that, that we, you know, that the Savo lions are known for. Um, so I think it, it really, really captures that perfectly. So thank you very much. Yeah, I I have also to my right, I have Death in the Silent Places, Peter Hathaway Capstick. I, the only one that I don't, and I, maybe there's two more, but there's Death in the Long Grass, which I don't have. Is there another one in the series besides The Maneaters of Savo by Peter that, Capstick? No, no Capstick, I mean, there's Death in the Long Grass, which is great, which is more about encounters, because I think... Mm. I can't remember which one it is way around, but Death, Death in the Silent Places is more about the individual hunters. Mm-hmm. And I think Death in the Long Grass is about sort of actual man-eaters and, and, and the animals, or it's the other way around. I can't quite remember. But um, And then he also wrote a book called Man-Eaters. So, um, uh, so if you're a fan of, uh, of, of this subject, then look up Capstick's books because they are terrific and even the new printing of the man eaters of sarvo is, is published through the capstick library so it, it's, i it's, didn't know that so what is yeah. why is it uh being redone is there more additions to that with pictures and such i think i think what it was is that yeah one the originals didn't have have the, the pictures that we all know of, of uh patterson sitting with the the lions you know sort of mm-hmm. uh on the, um, the sticks, um, and also the, uh, I think at the time when Capstick published it, um, like the copy that you and I have is, I think it was the Capstick um, Library Press, uh, literally it, the, the Man Eaters of Savo wasn't available at the time, so uh, Capstick took, you know, thought it was such an important story to tell that he, he took over and made sure that there was a copy out there. Yeah, I feel like, I feel like the there's a picture inside the book where it's Capstick behind the lion after he's mm. killed it. And I can't remember if this was the first one that he killed or the second one, but it's the one that you just mentioned where his there's a stick propped up under the lion's chin. I feel like that is a more striking... Uh, it, it encapsulates just how big these lions were, whereas I, I feel like the at least the copy that I have from Capstick... The lion is just laying there, and I realize that it's a very powerful animal, but I, I feel like the other picture kind of encapsulates just how massive these things were. And I was reading that these two lions, it seems like maybe possibly, and you can let me know, you, I'm sure you know a lot more about this story than I do, but inside just the forward even says that maybe they got the taste for people by dining on fever victims first because they were quite immobile and probably not very aware of their surroundings and maybe that's where it started as far as dining on these poor souls that were basically working as slaves on this bridge uh, from how it's labeled I love this part it's 580 miles of track it's a railroad track from near nowhere to absolute nowhere absolutely and it was it was it was just a hellhole um and uh, you know uh, the um it, like many cases of man-eating, it was stuff that we were doing that introduced the lions to what is always an easy meal. You know, humans are just this, you know, brilliantly packaged mm-hmm. uh, 
sort of you know meat parcel that is pretty <laughs> slow um we don't have tough hide or skin and um, we're easy to bring down um and, and you know apparently we taste good so <laughs> uh, but yeah it was absolutely it was outbreaks of fever um and influenza and stuff like that but was rife in these very cramped um significant working uh, camps where uh, Basically, the, 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 due to different religious beliefs and so forth, um, bodies were left out on funeral pyres. Mm. Uh, some some were left in very shallow graves, um, or some were just abandoned altogether. And I imagine if you were two young, bold uh, lions, perhaps just kicked out of the territory or looking for a territory to set up, and you stumbled upon this um, sort of smorgasbord as such, um, I would imagine it would be extremely tempting. Just ringing the dinner bell, right? Literally. L- leaving yeah. the bodies in shallow graves and such. I mean, that I can't, I don't know the stats on how far they can smell such a thing, but I would imagine it's quite far. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah, I mean, they would definitely be able to seek it out, but they use, they use other scavengers just like... Um, other predators do so they would you know follow vultures into a kill they would follow uh jackals or, or you know anything that was going in that way mm-hmm. i mean in the african landscape vultures are what you watch if you want to find a body and and the lions would have known that you know and and the lion and the vultures would have certainly been the first to be circling funeral pyres and things like that so now how about this 35,000 people brought in to help build this, what they tagged as the lunatic line. And it (laughs) says that 34,000 became um, either sick or injured through disease and accidents. 34,000, is that correct? Yeah, I mean, it is... Uh, the, the the accident rate. I mean, you've got to remember this was long before health and safety. Um, they were importing workers in from India, China, uh, and of course Africa itself. Um, and uh, you know, h- horrendous accidents were taking place. You know, sort mm-hmm. of lever moving accidents and, and things like that. You know, it, it was extremely rare to go to work and, and not and not experience you know injuries of some kind. That's why. 
you know, you, you know in the story that three different hospitals were built, you know, in, in this one camp to accommodate, uh, you know, and they weren't building those hospitals to to because of the lion attacks. They were building those hospitals because of the amount of injuries and sickness that these camps would, you know, generally experience. Yeah, there was no OSHA back then for the on-site job safety, right? <laughs> no, it was definitely not a hard hat area. Mm. Working boots were not required. Yeah, so the there's some more numbers here that I I just jotted down to chat about. Besides the 34,000 that were sick or injured, 9,000 were killed outright, and around about 100 of those folks were at the, the jaws of the lions, so to speak. Yeah. Well, Patterson puts the figures at 140. He actually says 138. Oh. He actually says 138 people were taken mm. over the over the over a time of nine months. And when it when the lions ramped up their attacks, when they were taking, you know, a person apiece, um, that that works about works out about right. You know, if the, if you can consider that you know they're taking a person each every four days and they've got nine months to literally kill um those figures sort of make sense um what's interesting is that you know the chicago field museum who 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 hold the exhibit of the of the sarbo man eaters they've run isotopic sort of studies on, on the hides or what's left of the hides uh, and they they dispute the figures they say it's more like 30 people oh. um, but obviously you know, when the um, hides were given to to the, uh, the the Chicago Field Museum, they were in fairly poor condition. Obviously, there's been a hundred years of decay and so forth. So all, all that sort of stuff has to be taken into account. And um, the, the, you know, the, the, uh, it's very easy to believe the figure of 140 people, um, given that there's two of them and they're working together. Now, how would they be able to tell that from the hides as far as how many victims they may have had? So they basically uh, would um, take carbon isotopes or, uh, or, uh, and look at the decay rate. Um, so you can tell whether something's an omnivore, whether it's a carnivore, um, where, how fats have been um, uh, sort of di- distributed and, and decayed, right, uh, decayed over time. Um, but from my point of view, it looks it looks like it. it, it those results would be full of holes just because of the condition the skins are in. Mm-hmm. Well, and didn't Patterson actually use one or both of them as a rug for a oh, certain yeah. amount of time? Both were used as rugs, and they oh. were both they were both in very poor condition when yeah. when they went over to the Chicago Field Museum. Uh, so it's definitely something to take into account. The, the, the you know the Uganda Railroad uh, do officially list the amount of people who were taken as twenty eight. But the records were not kept um, by any means up to date. And there was, at one point, the camp was literally abandoned. Uh, and that's not recorded either. So so we know that there are holes in, in the record keeping and in the story as a, as, as a historical record. And when you look at the pictures of these lions after they were freshly killed, and you look at them in the Chicago Field Museum on display they look uh, unimpressive they look a lot smaller and emaciated but it, it's just sad because you lose one like you said we're all packaged nice nicely and once all that blood and and tissue is just gone it really is quite unimpressive to see the pictures of them in the field museum oh um, it is when you look at like 
that sorry no the, go ahead like that picture that we were talking about where mm -hmm. where the head of the line is propped up on on, on the shooting stick uh, you can see that Patterson is sitting next to the line and he's crouched down. So he's probably, you know, when I crouch down, I'm about three, three and a half feet high. So let's say, and him and the lion are the same size, you know, in, in that picture. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? his head um, is just it, massive. That lion's head is huge. The, I mean, and you can see the, you can see the condition of that lion. Yeah. It's well fed. It's yeah, got it a <laughs> Really muscular, uh, really muscular uh, chest, and um, really powerful forelimbs. Uh, you know, it, it really, and that's a, a, you know, sort of you know, a good good half a day, but perhaps even more after it's been shot. Um, and as we know with Patterson, it, it, it wasn't just one shot, one kill. He 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 literally riddled the things with with shrapnel before he took it down. Yeah. <laughs> so, so they they took a pasting as well. Did they, in fact, get the names before they were killed, the ghost in the darkness? Right. Well, this is this is something that that is up, you know, a bone of contention as such. Uh, in that we don't really know where the name, the ghost in the darkness, came from. If you ask uh, the Chicago Field Museum, they have absolutely no record of it whatsoever. Oh, Patterson oh. certainly never refers to them as the ghost in the darkness uh, in, in in his books. What is likely is that they it was they were local names given to the animals. It's very very you know very usual for any animals of the of these kinds. You know, when man eaters become you know renowned, they are normally given you know local names, um, and it would certainly be you know. The fact that the, the local people believed that these two lions were uh, reincarnated um, chiefs of, of, of tribes who were angry, um, you know, uh, certainly would lend itself to the fact that they were probably called something along the lines of the ghost in the darkness. At the time, Patterson is an imperialistic Briton. He would have probably dismissed the superstitious nonsense of, of the workers and so forth. So it wouldn't have been in his interest to sort of record them or call them as that you know, you've probably seen in the book he refers to them as the brutes yeah. pretty much yeah. all the way through the all the way through the book and uh, uh, but I, I have no trouble believing that they were called the ghost in the darkness either that or or it was uh, you know some Hollywood wizardry and then they've given brilliant names to our two favorite creatures but uh, it's right. yeah uh, but I imagine they got the names from somewhere so yeah, I was wondering about the uh, the local Savo folks there, if up until their death, and maybe even then, they were like, well, you might have shot them, but they'll just come back in another form, whatever they might have believed, right? Yeah, well, it's interesting. When you look at when the, the, the lions first started their rampage, they were very, very clumsy. Um, so they, you know, there's a brilliant story of them breaking into the at the beginning, uh, you know, of their rampage as such. They broke into the trailer of a, a Greek trader, uh, uh, attacked his mattress, and uh, you know, stole off into the wilds with carrying the, the the mattress between their their legs, leaving the Greek trader sort of rather baffled as to what had just happened. Uh, and then uh, there's also another story of the the lions tripping over the ropes of the tents. Uh, and, and being a little bit, you know, less than, than stealthy, which is what we might normally uh, accept from a, a a big cat. Yeah. And of course, the locals, you know, and the workers at the time 
explained this very simply because you know these were witch doctors that had very recently just got used to the you know they're just still just getting used to their new bodies of mm. course they, they're going to make mistakes you know now how about luke the part where i know that this happened but i don't know to what extent was real in the movie the ghost in the darkness Patterson comes up with the idea that they're going to use a train car and live bait inside the train car in an attempt to capture said lions inside of the train car, hopefully behind some wood and and metal bars, whatever the case might have been. How much of that part actually happened and did it work? That that is another bit that is completely true. So Patterson came up with this brilliant idea um, and he took an abandoned rail cart and he created a trap out of the materials that he basically had available to him, which was basically railway sleepers and iron bars and so forth. Uh, and he constructed this trap. Um, he rolled it off site. He basically had a form boma, um, which is a, a huge uh, you know, sort of fence made out of, uh, the, of the weight of it forms that uh, the area is renowned for, uh, and basically made a one-way in, uh, you know, uh, 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 entrance so that the lions couldn't go anywhere other than this place. And he then set himself up as human bait behind the iron bars. Uh, the un- unfortunately for him, uh, the only things that really were interested in, in, in eating him were mosquitoes. So for about three, four nights, he, he sat up in a row uh, sort of being munched on by by mosquitoes, uh, then gives up because he's feeling rather real and tired at this point. Um, lets free hired help go in uh, in his stead, and of course that is the night that one of the lions chooses to visit. Uh, and terrifies the free shooters so much that they do indeed, as we see in the film, start shooting randomly, and the only thing they manage to hit is the chain holding the door shut and allowing the lion to escape. Mm. So, and, of course, if you're you know, a superstitious local and you're thinking that these things are demons, this just adds so much cre- you know, credibility to, to what you already believe because it, it's yet again managed to escape and foil you know, any uh, attempt to, to, to kill it or capture it. Of course, because when you're not of this world, you can just poof disappear whenever you like. Exactly right. Must be nice to be them. Yeah, so one of the other very interesting parts that I didn't realize until... I read The Maneaters of Savo, was that Patterson was hated by every single person in in that place, in the on the lunatic line, the 35,000 people or however many people were actually up on their feet. The poor souls were always sick or injured. But he actually not only had to watch out, of course, for the lions, but he had to watch his back because most everyone wanted to murder him, literally kill him. Oh, yeah, there was a plot to, there was a plot, plot to kill him. There was a, and he was warned of it by a loyal member of staff, and he, he very narrowly avoided being murdered. Mm. Uh, you know, yeah. they, they play it down massively in the film, you know, and they, they obviously play it into the fact that the lions are, are rampaging and people are, are being attacked. But it goes back to the working conditions. It goes back to the fact that, as you say, pretty much 99% of the workforce 
course are um you know sort of are in danger of being <laughs> being hurt or or, or sick um uh, it's it's not a pl- nice place to be it's not a nice place to work and you've got to remember this is 1898 this is imperialistic britain these these people are being very much treated like um you know the, 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 like third party citizens they are being treated you know, not in the same way that, that the whites would treat each other for instance yeah, I think it's actually pretty fascinating then that he he actually made it out of there, uh, and not save for the lions, but just for his uh, employees, if you want to call them that. No, I mean, I think what came, what happened in terms of his his lucky break as such was that a big big section of the camp moved moved sites. They basically went across the river and continued building the railroad across the river, mm. and he was left with a much smaller portion of the men and a much smaller force to handle. Um, and he he had his own by that stage, he had his own Jemadars, which he'd brought over uh, uh, from from India as a, as a British officer. And uh, basically, he that was pretty much his saving grace. Um, unfortunately, it was also the saving grace of the lions because they had um, pretty much free pickings of uh, a much smaller area. Just buffet time, meat nuggets just everywhere yeah. for them. They're happy as clams. Absolutely. And that was what really began what what, what Patterson called their reign of terror. So. So let's uh, let's wrap up the man eaters of Savo. Can you go over just that that final day or evening and and what came up with uh, two dead lions? Yeah, I mean the lions were killed about a week apart. Um, so uh, and the first the first lion was shot um, whilst uh, Patterson came up with one of his uh, yet again brilliant schemes, which is. Uh, he sat up on a Macan, which is a raised platform, um, which sits about 12 feet above the ground. And again, this is something he's brought over from India. He's used to hunting tigers. So he knows to sit up over the kill uh, and to wait for, for the, the, the big cat to approach and you know handily shoot the big cat. So Patterson sits up, puts himself at the top of the Macan uh, and waits for night to fall which it does. Um, just as we see in the movie, a mist falls. He's suddenly, you know, his eyesight is reduced. Uh, he can't see very well. His visibility has gone. And three hours in, something touches the back of his head and he freezes. He thinks somehow the lion has crept up on him uh, and, and taken him. But it's actually an owl. He's been so still and so 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 uh, uh, statuesque that an owl has mistaken him as a post and, and come to <laughs> land. Uh, now he moves to dis- disturb the owl, and that's when he hears a very impatient and disgruntled growl coming from about twenty feet away. So he, he until that time he had no idea that the man eater was there that the man eater was stalking him. It was only that owl and that movement that actually gave gave away. And what happened, I think, in that case is that the lion was probably definitely stalking him and the lion registered his movement and presumed that Patterson had seen him. Mm. So that, that little movement pretty much saved Patterson's life as far as I'm concerned. And then what, what's interesting is, is it's the real life aspect of this is that 
in the film, what happens is that suddenly the, large, the lion charges, Patterson, you know, chases it into the rocks and shoots. And what actually happened was, like most predators, lions are really patient. So the lion just sits down and waits it out for another three hours. Mm. Yeah, so Patterson is at the top of this McCann. He's sweating. He's, he's, he's waiting for you know, death to literally come for him. And he's got to sit there for another three hours before he, before he gets his opportunity. And literally what happens is that he, uh, lions sport uh, a, a white sort of chin, uh, you know, a, a chin hairs, and he spots this through the mist and he basically takes a shot. Um, and, uh, 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 you know, he hears uh, this massive snarl and roar. The lion dis- disappears into the brush. Uh, and as uh, he decides that um, retreat is the better part of valor, so he waits until daybreak to, to follow up um, on the lion and finds it dead in the brush, um, uh, you know, sort of uh, having died of its wounds. Um, and what, and later on he found he finds that various pot shots he took at the lion in the past and so forth also hit the lion, but mm. this was the killing shot. Um, with the with the second line, it was almost a, a week apart. Um, he basically, uh, his coolies called him out from his tent one evening, uh, telling him that the lion was circling the, uh, the, 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 the tree that they had all decided to, to, to sleep in. And Patson again, decided to launch a volley of shots in the direction of the lion. Um, and basically, uh, that did the trick that night. What's slightly unnerving and eerie is that when they investigate in the morning, they find the lion has walked through, not not just round, but through every single empty tent in the camp. Oh. Yeah, a, a lit checking for, to, for for a meal. That's not so, when you want to be the guy like, hey, I'll sleep by the door, right? Like they must have drawn straws who's sleeping oh, by the doors of the tents. Well, at this point, they were all sleeping in trees because <laughs> yeah. it, even though Patterson, because uh, Patterson already shot at this second line a number of times and he did follow a blood trail into the rocks and he had basically presumed that the lion had died of its wounds, but this is the night where he finds out that he hasn't killed the lion and that it's back um, literally with a vengeance. Uh, and uh, he basically sets up another trap. He, he follows the, he, he follows the spore into the rocks. Uh, he chooses a tree um, and, and uh, waits it out. He has a gun bearer with him. So he's got two weapons uh, an old carbine rifle and uh, his, his own repeater. And basically, he, the lion does eventually show. He takes a shot. Um, the lion takes it extremely personally, charges him. Patterson turns around to, the, to expecting the gun bearer to be there to pass him the second rifle. The gun bearer's got better news and is, is rushing off towards oh. the tree and, and is halfway up the tree. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, Patterson again decides that's a pretty good idea. It runs up uh, the tree, you know, to, up to the tree after his gun bearer. The gun bearer throws the rifle at him and he again takes another shot at the lion and pretty much 
you know, kills it on the on the third shot, um, at which point the lion pretty much hits the, hits the dirt about five feet from him. So, again, he was literally five feet from death when when he delivered the shot. So, so it is still quite dramatic. The real story versus the film with Michael yeah, Douglas and Val Kilmer. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, 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 you couldn't really film it because it's it, it would just probably be a little bit too comedic and yeah. sort of clumsy almost uh, and I think as well like you know the things that we expect these days you know in terms of for instance following up a wounded animal I mean th- th- there's no getting around it Patterson let a wounded animal um, you know in, in the wild for over for over a week you know and that is that is one one angry lion <laughs> so yeah, especially when it's fascinating to think that they already had these old wounds, but I mean, their instincts and hunger took over and they're like, well, yeah, we're getting shot and he's hitting our his mark to a certain extent, but we're going to come back and we're going to get more food. This is the thing that is bizarre is, is, is that the behavior these lions show that we've got on record is really odd because they, you know, there's a great line in the film, you know, where he says, lions never had a lair like this or lions don't do this you know both which are both lions lines from the film um is is very true so the fact that patterson found a body where the skin had been licked off the feet almost as if to drink the blood mm. that's not a typical lion feeding behavior um there was also uh, another body found where the the flesh seemed um, withered and dry as if it had been sucked upon and you know and again that's that's not a and and something that we we know lions do on a regular basis and the lair that he found was you know that well, obviously they exaggerate in the film but there was a lair found you know between two saplings uh, and it, it looked remarkably like it. There were, you know, it was a killing ground. So, and these two lions, Luke, they were in fact either trying to start their own pride or kicked out of a pride. They're, they weren't dragging food back for any females or or baby lions. No, not at all. They, they, this is this is why I think they were young. They were probably adolescents, which had been kicked out of the territory, um, or had been, you know, sort of were moving on because. Uh, you know, another larger male lion had probably t- either taken over the pride or that you know they were basically what we call nomads so they're these it's quite likely that they were brothers or certainly related um because they probably came from the same pride or they came from the same birth mother um which is why they would had this bond it's not unusual for lions to form these kind of alliances or relationships outside of Pride Zyber. So they might have met, um, you know, sort of whilst they were traveling and such, but they definitely didn't have a pride they belonged to and they definitely weren't associated with any females. So again, which is slightly unusual because, you know, lions are, are, the, are, you know, what we know as being the social cat. Yeah, their their tendencies as far as their, their eating or drinking, if that's what you want to call it, tendencies of these bodies certainly probably added to their their ghost and, and darkness tags, if that's, in fact, where they got it is from the local... Oh, yeah, sub- I mean, the notoriety of these two was... I mean, these are the, still the only, you know, sort of case of a man-eater being discussed in British Parliament. So, you know, when it was being discussed whether they would, you know, send troops to help and so forth, you know, th- these two lions got the attention of the British Empire. 
Yeah, that is um, truly impressive and, and nothing that you'd want to see in person. Although now when I look back to my one trip to Chicago, for some reason, I just it, I love this story so much. And it I guess it didn't cross my gray matter that they were probably I probably walked right by the Field Museum and uh, really blew that shot to see them. No, it's it's on my wish list. I've, you know, I really yeah. want to go. I mean, I've you know, I've been very lucky whilst I was writing the books. That I've been speaking to um, uh, you know, so, uh, the, the Chicago Film Museum and indeed a relative of Patterson himself. Wow. Yeah. You know, so, it, it, you know, that is a brilliant, you know, that's pretty much a, you know, a, a tick on the old bucket list as it is. But, um, it, you know, to actually go there and see them. Uh, I kind of agree with you, though, in that, you know, once you've seen those pictures and, you know, and you see the exhibit, they do look a little bit emaciated. They do look like, you know, a hodgepodge of, of skins that have just been put together. And, and there is something about what they were and what they represented and their, their mark on history that perhaps deserves a little bit more yeah. respect almost. Yeah, and it's not to downplay at all. I find them fascinating. I love, this is one of my favorite stories on the planet is the ghost in the darkness. But yeah, there's just something about that picture. It almost makes me sad. I'm like, you guys are, I know you guys are better than this. And we, we know what you really are, right? Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. I mean, it's the fact that, you know, as we've, we've discussed on Into the Fray sort of forums on Facebook and so forth, that, in that the way they're depicted I think quite a few people have made that mistake that, that they're females, that they're lionesses. And I think part of that is the way that the taxidermy has is, is, is unfortunately portrayed them. So Yes, they look very svelte and slender and just shapely in a way. And I, I was corrected very quickly, as you know, <laughs> when I, I said, oh, those are two, you know, bad of the bone females or whatever I said. And I just I, I was just speaking out of turn and. Sure enough, they are maneless male lions, and they were huge. Yeah, but they weren't the only. You weren't the only one, and and, and again, that that's an interesting aspect of what what is happening. You know, but so for instance, so in Kenya and in the Sago region in particular, um, we even today we see maneless male lions because the arid environment, the uh, uh, the area itself, having a mane isn't an advantage it's hot it's heavy it's mm -hmm. kind of no good what's interesting is that in the okavango delta and botswana you've got the opposite happening you've got lionesses growing manes um so it, oh. you know, oh. it's really interesting but but that this species has this ability to to show some adaptation to their environment uh you know so in the case of the botswana lionesses um it looks like that they're growing manes so that their prides look like they've got more males than they actually do because infanticide is 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 a, is a massive problem in lion prides in the other lion male lions coming in killing the offspring to take over the pride so. well and i get why they did this but this is actually a, a sad aspect of the whole thing at least to me is that germans actually blew up the is it the entirety of of the bridge and how, yeah, mu the how much of that is actually still there to this day 
Yeah, I mean, there's there are ruined pillars on either side of the bridge, but or either side of the River Savo, but that that's it. So the bridge itself, you can go to the location. It's pretty overgrown. It's pretty it's pretty scrubby, uh, but and there are two two sort of support pillars on either side, but that that is really all that remains. Of, you know, after all that happens and all the sacrifice and mm, all yeah. all that happens at this particular site, you know, it, it was blown up. So. Wouldn't that be incredible to to go there? I think that that would be the ultimate end of the fray trip right there, Luke. What do you think? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. When we when Frey Fest gets started, we'll have yes. to we'll, Salvo will have to be one of the locations. Yeah, yes. you people are going. I don't care if it's hotter than Hades itself. We're going. Um, yeah, is we there Salvo, as you know, is a place that means slaughter. <laughs> Welcome to Freyfest. That's right. Exactly. It's a perfect location. Forget a Vegas convention center. That's boring. We need to go to Savo. <laughs> yeah. Is there anything there depicting what happened? There, there is a rock and there is a, 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 a plaque on the rock. The, uh, there, there is a place called Lion Rock, which mm. is, is, is where the uh, lions are said to where their lair is said to be um and it is it's fairly popular with there's a fairly posh resort not too far away uh, and people will will go there for picnics and you know be talked to and so forth uh, so it, it gets a little bit of attention now um but um there's not a lot there uh, to, to to tell the truth can't imagine a lot of people think hey let's go to savo for a vacation but it's good at least there's something depicting uh, the area and they they may as well embrace it. it it does have a lot of notoriety dark or not it it's a famous location so it's good to hear that there's at least something uh saying hey this is what happened here and may may them may all their souls rest right including the lions i i hate to say it but uh they were just doing their thing they were just trying to survive like anybody else and i i feel bad for the people that got of course drug out by their necks from their tents but um they they do have a certain romantic notion about them. I don't know why it's so dark to say that, but I love those two lions. Well, I think I think it's something that happens with all man eaters. In that, in that, as I said, the the a, man, a killing an animal that kills people only has to show a slight degree of intelligence or has to escape. Or, or get show a bit of cunning and you know have a little bit of personality or panache, and suddenly what happens is it, it becomes famous. So you know uh, there's you know there's a an alligator in the 1920s, for instance, in Florida and Alabama, which was called Two-Toed Tom. Uh, so you know and he he sort of uh, became famous because he had this physical attribute, which he only had two two toes on one of his on, on one of his legs. And and you know he was became he became famous in the 1920s and 30s. You know, uh, people were saying they'd lost hundreds of livestock, and you know, uh, there's a, a old folklore about a farmer taking 15 buckets of dynamite to the pond that mm-hmm. he meant to mm-hmm. live. And of course, you know, the croc lived, but he took you know, sorry, the alligator lived, but he took the farmer's daughter in revenge. You know, of course he did. Yeah, and yeah, you know, there are. Even today in Nepal, Nepal, there is a uh, there's a tigress called the claw, 
who is has taken um, who pretty much you know spends her years on and off eating people. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems to me whenever she has cubs, she tends to start taking people because, as we said, they're, we're we're easy pickings. Unfortunately, we're we're a lot slower than deer. Uh, we're a lot easier to kill, and um, yeah, well, we taste like chicken. So. Yeah, we must, right? We must be slightly delicious. Surely, there's other options they have, but as slow as slow as we are, we really are. We're just like bumbling through the forest, and everyone's like, "Well, why can't we get a Bigfoot?" Well, because the Bigfoot heard you like three miles ago, because we're just not built for that kind of terrain. Is that is that Tigress in Nepal? Does she have a nickname, or is it's she? The claw. Oh, the claw. the claw. You said that. I'm sorry. Okay, interesting. And how old is she supposed to be now? I think she's pro- I, if if she is still alive, she's probably approaching ten years old. And what what's the lifespan of those? So, well, in the, in the wild, that she's getting pretty dangerously close. But okay. this is the thing: is is that if she was eating normal things, then you know perhaps she she would have a limited lifespan. But perhaps if she found an easy food source, um, then uh, then uh, then maybe she'll live a bit longer. But you know, eight to twelve years is pretty much. Mm going for a, for a big cat in the wild these days and obviously tigers face huge huge you know um you know sort of uh poaching and and uh hunting illegal hunting and so forth so a tiger in the wild is is definitely a target for somebody whether whether they're a man eater or not and do the nepalese believe her to be something paranormal uh, I think there's, there's, there is almost a fatalistic um, acceptance. Uh, it's a bit like uh, in in Africa when people are taken by crocodiles. It, there is almost a fatalistic acceptance that that was what it was, what's meant to happen. That was how it was meant to be. Mm. Um, and there is uh, again in Nepal and India, you know, with Buddhism and Hindu there, Hinduism, there is that same sort of fatalistic acceptance of it. It was just your time, sort of thing. What a, a hell of a way to go. It would really be terrible and terrifying. To, yeah, it, it, again, it's one of those morbid conversations, but it, it's sort of, if you had to be taken by anything, uh, I, from my point of view, a cat kill was pretty quick. Right, so, that is true, because they'll usually just go for your neck, and you yeah, probably neck, don't feel much. Yeah, yeah they, they like, I mean, it is amazing. I mean, when, it turn, when you look at sort of, the evolution of cats and, and people is it's worryingly for instance you know how easy uh, the teeth of the leopard you know fit perfectly between the vertebrae of a primate you know such mm. as ourselves uh, yeah and just perfectly sever the vertebrae and and and, and, and or you know the other big cat kill is uh, um, to smash you know their, their canines through your temples so, but I, either way, or through the skull, or the top of the skull, there was a, a jaguar in 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 the uh, Monte, the Monte Grasso in 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 the Amazon, where uh, uh, who was called As- Assassino, mm. and he he was known for um for killing by biting through the top of the skull. So. Very cool. So the assassin, basically. Yeah, the assassin. Yeah. So. Very cool. Yeah, he got that name mainly because he killed livestock, but um, it, it is rumored that he tangled with a, a number of farmers as well. So. Yeah, I suppose on the list of if you had to pick, right, if there's like a, a top three list of a lion, a, a gator, and pick something else, I suppose that a big cat would be probably a usually a pretty quick and easy way to go, painless. 
Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I mean, I, I mean, it's worryingly one of the conversations that regularly comes up at work is because <laughs> people obviously know what I write and so forth. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, sort of. You know, if you had to go, which way wouldn't you want to go? And I, and for me, it's always bears and dogs because um, that is a very slow death. So. Yeah, that. And then number three could be like something random, like a deadly tarantula or something. Yeah, I don't even think that that yeah, exists, that's, but that is on my big no list right there. You know that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we, we we shouldn't really talk about. It. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's probably one watching me in in here right now. He's like, you better stop talking about my well, kinfolk. But, but the good news is, is 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 tarantulas aren't too venomous. So you, you know, but yeah, they, you you know you know as there are in America with the, you know brown recluses and redbacks and all that sort of stuff. Those are the ones that you need to watch out for. But again, those they're not easy ways to go, especially if you're a child or an elderly person or heaven forbid allergic. Then uh, yeah, those are all painful ways to go. Um, but yeah, dogs and bears don't show any table manners. They'll happily eat you whilst yeah. You're, yeah. you're whilst you're not dead. Yeah, the, so, a, a toe is just as good as an ear or. Uh, yeah anything else it's not that is not a fun way to go at all yeah last no. summer I captured a photo well this is post kill which is so brave of me but there's no way I could have got it on camera while it was still alive uh, but the camel spider I found a no. it, it is a smaller camel spider I don't know if you've ever seen that picture. I have. Yes, yeah, hideous um, thing just it runs with those two long feelers up in the front and those that's why is because it's it's feelers and you know it's also called the wind scorpion or a sun spider because it likes the shadow and the dark so people think that the camel spider is chasing you it's not chasing you it's trying to stay in your shadow which is freaking terrifying because they can run 10 miles an hour or something that is yeah, that, stupid I mean, that not, they can run that fast it's not comforting at all but they're no. just trying to stay in the shadow either at all. yeah it's yeah a friend of mine is uh, works with um, um the the british military forces and, and she doesn't like spiders and she sh once shared uh, uh, the, the fairly famous video clip of the British soldiers in yeah. Iraq finding the two camel spiders, which are pretty much the size of, of their torsos. <laughs> right. And I know that people are like, well, that's two of them. Okay, but one of them is still massive. If you just uh, yeah. separate the jaws off the other one's abdomen, they're huge. Yeah, that, yeah. None, none, none of the um, sort of the arguments for are, are, are comforting. No, so. <laughs> because as someone goes, well, it's not poisonous. I'm like, yeah, it's not poisonous. But if you look it up, it literally says a bite from it. It has four prongs for its mouth. A bite can be very painful. I'm like, I don't care if it's not poisonous. It will never get its jaws on me. So yes, Absolutely. I no, very yes. Uh, cowardly of me. I sprayed it with Raid. And it disappeared. I, it's not like I thought it was paranormal. It just, I don't know where it went. I, I hauled butt back in the house because I don't know where the thing is. I'm like, I'm not going to sleep if I, if I know it's still alive, even though it's out back. And I no. saw it the next day. And somehow that one little tuft of raid got it. Um, go Shannon. Real brave of me, I know. But Absolutely. that thing is terrifying. <laughs> it, they, they dig in holes in the dirt. They live in little mini caves that they build. And they come out at night. And yep. it's running around the porch. I'm like, this is not, this is not normal, and it's not going to be on on my property. No, thank you. 
none of that is what we associate it with, with with animals we want to be friends with you know sort of they, yeah. they build traps and they come out at night that that's that's pretty much you know a, a pretty good description of a, of a b horror movie <laughs> exactly it, that's exactly what my porch looked like that night i was like squealing making odd noises because i didn't know where it was and i thought if this thing and it can run faster than me I certainly couldn't scale a wall in enough time to get away from it if it came after my shadow. So, yeah, <laughs> grab the raid. All right, well, let's get back on track here. So, Luke, let's learn more about you and why why you wrote, because you, your first book is called Shadow Beast and the second one, The Daughters of the Darkness. So what, what got you into cryptids, especially cryptid cats, of all things? Uh, well, it was kind of an interesting, I, I, I mean, I, my my mum is Scottish. Um, she, yeah, uh, we spent when we were kids, we spent a lot of time up in Scotland, and, and now as an adult, I, I, I holiday in Scotland a lot, and um, we we definitely spent a lot of time around Loch Ness, uh, and I probably had, you know, a, you know, I, I had a, an interest in monsters and uh, and things like that, probably from from very very early on. I, you know, I remember watching sort of monster movies and you know, particularly werewolf movies when, when I was. A kid, you know, you know, sort of, and being absolutely transfixed. Um, but I've also always been a naturalist. I've always been interested in my, in you know, what, what we call real wildlife. Um, you know, and, and I always describe a cryptid as an animal that skips happily along the, the sort of the unseen border between myth and reality, and then trips over and disappears between mm-hmm. the cracks. Um, yeah, and so when I was studying, I I wanted to. First of all, I wanted to become a vet because of my interest in wildlife and animals. And then I realized my grades weren't probably going to get me there. So I looked at studying zoology. And during my first ever uh, uh, lecture, which was just an introduction to the year and an introduction to the course, um, my uh, professor, who happened to actually be, who I discovered later, was a, an expert on on, on, on fossil cats, um, mentioned the Loch Ness monster, uh, and I, which I was obviously somewhat surprised to hear. Uh, and he was talking about um, Sir Walter Scott, Sir, sorry, Sir Peter Scott, um, who who had given you know the Loch Ness monster a, a an actual. Uh, Latin name, which was uh, Nessiceturus rhomboptrix, which was uh, the the uh, basically the, the Nessie with the rhombus-shaped fin. Um, now, later on, I discovered that that, that, that the um, it was a a, a very um, a convenient anagram hidden within the name, which was Monster Hoax by Sir Peter S. So, so oh, we, we think goodness. so. We think we think um, Sir Peter Scott was having a little bit of a joke. Yeah. But but that yeah, but it was too late by then. I was hooked. I was like, right, oh. you know. I'm I'm in a, a zoology lecture and, I, and people are talking about monsters. As as far as I'm concerned, this is uh, me being allowed to look uh, into it. Uh, and it basically grew from there. Uh, I actually started looking into it because um, I had every intention of proving that these these so-called mystery cats um, or alien big cats that people were reporting. Uh, across the country were were mistaken identity or hoaxes or just complete nonsense and um so i i started it off as basically a, a bit of a university project um of course what happened is i started uh just you know talking to people who were um you know 
what we you know what we call mild mannered professionals. They were doctors, they were police, and they were helicopter pilots. They were mountain rescue teams. They were even you know sort of Royal Marine snipers, and they were all describing these animals that that they'd um, they'd seen, and and they were all fairly consistent they were all pumas or leopards and they all fit this these these correct descriptions and they were also describing behavioral things like you know sort of you know the prey items they were after the the fact that they were being found in areas that you would associate you know so leopards animals were for instance being spotted in sort of wooden wooden escarpments forests that sort of thing whereas the puma or mountain lion type animals were being seen in sort of moors rocky escarpments those sort of things again which is sort of you know to me makes sense those are the habitats i would expect to find those animals um and then I basically joined a group um, who were uh, British Big Cats uh, and I joined them at a conference and we went out um, onto Dartmoor itself um, as a bit of a laugh and we started playing um, calls uh, of capture, uh, of captive pumas and right there and then as, as light was falling, we got a response and I was like, that's, that's, that's a puma. Now, Obviously, I don't know if this team had another team somewhere else across the moor playing exactly the same recording. Um, it sounded pretty real to me. Um, what I will say is that since I've been investigating, I have heard that the, the sort of the scream of a puma in, in, in local woods, you know, not far from me in Kent. Um, and since then, I've obviously come across things like um, sort of, you know, the, 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 the gypsy travellers trading in, in the animals. Um, I've, you know, there was a story last year of, of Mary Chipperfield, who was a circus owner. She, you know, she was pr pretty much, you know, sort of um, accused of releasing free pumas on, onto the moors in the 70s. So we've got we've got a lot of evidence beginning to push that, that these animals are out there. And again, I had a, 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 a completely um, random, but I was driving back from a friend's house in Kent and had what looked like um, a, a big black cat crossed the road in front of me. Um, and literally a hundred yards b b before that, I had had three panicked deer charge across the road, mm. which which is is what had made me have to have to stop my car in the first place. So, oh uh, so to uh, you, Luke, is that a, a puma or a panther? One of the black panthers that is said to well, be living there. Yeah, well, pa panther is a bit of a sort of a, a confusing term because um, it, it, you know there's no such thing as a black panther as such. It, it's it's basically uh, a leopard or a jaguar that's 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 anistic, so it's got a black black pigment. So from my point of view, it had it had uh, a fairly muscular horn, it had very small ears. Um, it it moved in a way that made me immediately think leopard. Hmm. Um, so, so I'm pretty sure it was it was a melanistic leopard, and um, but then again, not far from that, it was pretty much the same area where I was investigating uh, a, a deer carcass that had been found, um, and that was where I heard what I'm sort of 99.9% sure was a was a puma scream. So, and that's what yeah. you believe you got on that recording. So, what what did you guys play? as the as the bait to get a call back can you repeat that part for me 
Yeah, we were basically playing um, Puma screams and growls, which had been recorded by um, the zookeeper at Exmoor Zoo. Okay, uh, so and they, it was a puma scream and a growl, not any other kind of cat, just straight puma. No, you know, we, weren't, we weren't playing any other uh, any other cat screams. Interesting, we, very interesting. And you got a you did get a response. We get a response. It was very distant, um, uh-huh. but it was yeah. I, I, you know, I'm I'm trained. Uh, I I know fox screams. I know the sounds badgers make. I mean, we you know, even you know we got a, even hedgehogs make strange sounds. And there's mm-hmm. lots of stuff out there that can confuse people. But what, you know, once you've heard a mountain lion scream and they have that really sort of, or in the case of a leopard, which has this really angry rant-like growl, you know, you're not really going to confuse it for anything else. Um, uh, yeah, and it's one of the things that really drives me balmy when you go to watch these sort of monster quest programs and so forth and they've got you know the sort of the the um the western reporter you know showing them <laughs> pictures of, yeah. of animals that they see every day and go are you sure it wasn't this and go no we we, we cooked and ate that yesterday right. <laughs> yeah yeah we, we know what that is don't don't you know don't patronize us too much yeah, yeah. you know it's yeah um so it's uh yeah but and i think in in these cases um you know by far the mountain lions and the sort of the, the panther-like cats are the ones which are so leopards and mountain lions are pretty much the ones which pretty much turn up time after time and time again and i'm not surprised by that because they're the two most adaptive species of cat that we know mm. you know um you know sort of you know the, the, take the mountain lion for instance completely spread across the North and South American continent. Um, leopards are found right across the Indian and, and African subcontinents. Uh, you know, they're found in, in environments from, you know, desert to thick jungle. Um, and the same again with the, with the mountain lions, they're found everywhere from, uh, uh, you know, sort of deep forests to, to, to sort of, to, 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 the, to the high desert and high mountains. So I these think are, I do agree. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but it is so fascinating to think of, like you mentioned, the claw in Nepal. And that is not always forgiving weather. And sometimes it gets snowy, of course, up there. And then again, like you said, they're living in more of like a a Floridian environment with high humidity and heat at the same time. So it's so very strange how adaptive they can be. Yeah, I mean, there are are animals, you know, that, that... we I think would have a hard time in the British climate. So I think if if a lion or a tiger escaped or something like that, I think they would have a time. They wouldn't they wouldn't be able to adapt to the climate. But a puma, a leopard, no problem at all. So you in the UK though, big cats are completely unacknowledged as an animal living out in the wild. We don't. We definitely don't have. You know, officially, we do not have them. You know, we we've in the past we've had them. So, um, you know, the most recent we we have a, a small species of cat, which is the European, the Scottish wild cat, um, which is an endemic species of cat uh, only found in Scotland. Um, and uh, before that, we did have the lynx. At the moment, there's huge uh, a big campaign to bring back the lynx and reintroduce it. Um, Britain has a deer population that's pretty much out of control. We have other alien animals on the food chain like wild boar that have been reintroduced. 
or released from farms or their escapes. Uh, again, they've got no natural predators. Um, and uh, we've got a, a, an ecosystem that's pretty much out of kilter because we don't have any of the big predators we used to have. We don't have bears, we don't have wolves, uh, and we don't have lynx. So we are missing you know, sort of these keystone apex predators from our ecosystem, and it's pretty much the poorer for it. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, as far as we're concerned, officially, no big cats. Yeah, yeah obviously, in, 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 the, um, in the past, in, in prehistory, we had everything from Dinophilus, which was a, a false saber-toothed cat, um, and we had Homotherium, which was, again, a, a type of saber-tooth. Uh, we had, uh, what else do we have? We had the European Jaguar. We had the European Cave Lion. Uh, we had all sorts of big, big things, um, but uh, but no more as such. So... <laughs> Do you think that as far as controlling the population of things like deer and, and the other um, animals that you were mentioning, do you think reintroducing a lynx would be more advantageous than releasing pumas or a leopard that gets a little bit bigger than a lynx and might cause a problem to the humans out there in the UK? Yeah, I, I think I think for instance, I think the lynx is the perfect size in terms of in terms of the politics of it all in that. If you were to suggest to people that we were going to introduce mountain lions or leopards, I think there'd be pretty much a big problem. Um, you know, it, it's the, the sort of thing that I don't think the British public are ready for that as such. Um, in terms of the lynx, I think people are, okay, that's not going to cause a massive problem. It's not a threat to humans, um, and, and that's going to be more likely to be accepted. Um from my own point of view as a wildlife enthusiast, I would love to see wolves. I would love to see brown bears reintroduced. Um, mm. um, the likelihood of those things happening with um, the sort of the lobbying that we get from farmers and so forth is, is fairly slim. But lynx are very capable animals. They, they will take down um, you know, a deer. They will take down a red deer. They will take down a fallow deer, seeker deer, all, 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 all species that we have. They will certainly take down a roe deer. Roe deer is, without a doubt, a favorite prey item of the lynx. Um, so, um, yeah, they would, it would definitely have an impact. Whether we could ever introduce enough lynx to, to, to the point that it was really impacting you know it's been been said that we now have more deer in the uk than we've ever had before um, mm. in, in mm. history so um you know and, and they're having an effect on the landscape you know the, the trees aren't growing you know sort of yeah, mountainsides being stripped bare and so forth so something does need to be done and and the, you know the lynx reintroduction will counter that to a certain extent even if it just changes the the habits of the deer so at the moment, you've got deer herds which have got no uh, predators. So, and again, this is what's interesting is is that this sort of happened in Colorado in the nineteen nineties, where mountain lions disappeared from 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 Colorado, and people were feeding the deer. So, in Boulder, Colorado, for instance, you had this massive population of almost tame deer that were walking into town, walking into people's gardens and so forth. And then, of course, one day the mountain lions returned. Um, uh, and again, it escalated to the point where, it, you know, the first adult male or the first adult human being was killed by a mountain lion um, in over a century in, in, in the outskirts of Boulder. So. 
And Luke, are you actively receiving and following reports of these these big cats out there in your area? Yeah, I mean, when, when I, I was based in Seven Oaks, and uh, I was definitely getting reports. Um, unfortunately, I've moved a little bit cl- closer to London now, so I'm not getting as many reports. Um, right. So, but I'm hoping to get back out into Kent um, soon and, and sort of get back get back in, on, on the trail as such. Um, so, but I, I'm definitely spoken to. And, uh, it, it's one of those things. I mean, I've just I just spent some time down in Cornwall, for instance, in the west of the country, and. It's one of those things where you say, "Oh, I, you know, I'm, I'm writing books about you know big cats," and you know nine times out of ten, somebody say, "Oh, I, oh, I, I saw one," or "I, I know someone who saw one," uh, and it, it, and that's what's interesting is that because I'm writing fiction or or stories based on on you know fiction stories based on reality, um, I think people feel a bit more comfortable telling telling stories mm-hmm. and telling me. And, um, you know, there's less pressure for, you know, it's not like they're going to be exposed and they're not going to be told that they're, you know, they're, they're crazy. So, um, so we do, I do get reports and I do go investigate them. So. How, how much more did that fire you up when you actually saw a cat cross your path that night? Oh, that, that was a really big turning point. That, I mean, that, I mean, I, I was pretty much there anyway. <laughs> yeah. But, but, but that was the now the final now in the, in the, in the cryptid coffin as such. That was right. okay. These things are real. Yeah, these things are. I, I mean, to be honest, I had seen infrared footage of, of a big cat from which was taken by a police helicopter, uh, which was shown to me by a police helicopter pilot, and I was like, "Well, that's a big cat." Mm. So, uh, and so that that had pretty much convinced me as it was. Um, but yeah, see, uh, seeing three. I mean, when these three deer charged across the road. They did not care that I was there at all. They did not care that, you know, a, a, a car was hurtling towards them out of the dark with dazzling, you know, headlights. Normally, deer will see a car, they'll freeze, they'll go the other way. These these deer were absolutely determined to not only cross the road but get up a pretty sizable bank on on my side of the road and in and into the woodland. Um, and they, they weren't stopping for anything. And of course. Hundred yards up the road, I found out why. So, yeah, not many reasons they'll just run with uh, wild abandon like that, right? Unless it's from a big predator. Exactly. I mean, everything that everything that they were showing in terms of their response was a response to a predator. You know, it's like it's like the old Jurassic Park. You know, sort of yeah, just yeah. like a flock of birds evading. I mean, it, yes. that was the thing that actually came to my mind. Was like, oh, it's like they're running away from. Oh, look, they are. <laughs> it was that they were definitely they were definitely on the move and with purpose um and you know they it was a mad panic it wasn't just get across the road or moving on you know because again as i say british deer that we, we don't they don't have a major predator um to worry about um and you know the, the ones that were in the, these ones which were probably escapees from a local deer park show no fear of humans or cars whatsoever um and so they weren't going to be bothered by me and they weren't going to be bothered by the car they were definitely being bothered by what was chasing them has anyone ever set up um i mean something like patterson did you know you you try to drag in something with some bait um or do you think that these are so few and far between and a low a low breeding population that it would be tough to actually get one in to either film it or or kill it, depending on who was going out to, to do this yeah. hunting, right? Well, I think if you had the resources, 
it would be possible to do it. I mean, I, I mean, I like to think that any animal, you know, if, if we're talking about flesh and blood animals, and I know that opens up a whole, <laughs> right, <laughs> a whole new can of worms. Yeah. Um, but if we're talking about flesh and blood animals, then these things should be able to be tracked. They should be able to be found. Um, you know, we've got wildlife cameramen from you know BBC and National Geographic who can find the rarest animals. You know, if we can find, if we can film and and, and track snow leopards right. in the Himalayas, right. then uh, then you know, surely finding, you know, let's say there's eight you know leopards in, in Kent, in a you know in, in southeast England, then we should be able to find them. Um, it is interesting that just like other cryptids like Bigfoot, Nessie and so forth, um, what we tend to get are the blurry photographs. We tend to get the, um, you know, the, the sort of the, 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 you know, the, very, the shaky cam footage of, of, of things, you know, walking down railway lines and that sort of stuff. Um, there, I mean, there is, there are researchers out there who are collecting really, really good evidence. Like, there's a a, a, a researcher in southeastern England called Neil Arnold. He's he's got some great evidence. He's got plaster casts of footprints. He's got a whisker of a leopard, which was retrieved from a woman's cat flap because mm. um, this this thing literally tried to follow her pet cat into that. You know, it was it was looking for for the, for the easy meal and, and it, its whisker got caught in the cat flap now again all of these things the problem is is that all of these things have counter arguments in which you know the woman got the the whisker from you know a, 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 a skin rug or you know from from a captive leopard or something like that mm-hmm. you know so there's no this definitive proof that we need or we want always seems to be almost as elusive as the animals themselves you know so Someone needs to just go ahead and capture one, and I'm not going to... It's just like the Bigfoot argument, right? Like, you'd have to drag in the body, and... All right, let's just let's just talk about the big cats for a second, and you get one in a trap, and you have to literally do the old, like, hey, over the shoulder with your thumb, like, hey, how about this yeah. UK government, right? Uh, the parliament is going, well, we can't really deny it now if it's pacing yeah, back I mean, and forth in a cage. Yeah, well, I mean, whilst we're talking about controversial subjects, we might as well sort of, you know, bring up the sort of the type specimen and, and, and yeah. you know, the not be killed but yeah i'm afraid you know when, when it comes down to science that's what it does it you know you need a body um you know uh, uh, we, uh you know i work with you know brilliant sort of graphic artists and so forth i know what can be done in photoshop um yeah. you know so so you do you need a body you need to prove that they're out there there i mean there are really interesting videos out there there is a, there is a very well-known video in in british big cat circles where a, a guy i think it's in, in in Norfolk, has phoned the government and said, you know, look, I've got this big black cat. It's in, it's in, you know, trapped in my shed um, sort of thing. And basically what happens is a team of very strange, you know, you know, looking people turn up and they're all armed to the teeth. Um, the guy's not allowed anywhere near the shed. Um, and But he basically films them from the house um, and they're not there to—they're not there to retrieve the animal. They're not animal control. They, they, these guys are there to kill and, and, and remove it. And he says that the that the animal escaped out the back. But um, you know, if 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 what his testimony is, is to be believed, then this was a pretty strong government response um, to an animal that isn't meant to be there. Well, that sounds very familiar, doesn't it? 
Doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. The, the old conspiracy files are open. So. See, Men in Black in the UK too. They are a multi-country force. Yeah. So. Absolutely. Yeah. They, they just pop in and out in those big black continental cars and go wherever they want. Uh, Neil Arnold, doesn't he have some sort of a fantastic uh, encyclopedia of some sort? Yeah, he's, uh, yeah, it's, um, I mean, he's written various books. He's, he's written sort of, you know, um, cryptid, cryptids of London folklore. He's got a, he has got an encyclopedia of cryptozoology and I can't remember for the life of me what it's called. I can't um, either, but I, I do know that name. I've spoken to him before. Um, yeah. Yeah. I will, um, I'll, I, I I'll put the I'll, link in the, in the show notes. Cause I remember he was telling me about that encyclopedia of his, which I, I do want to get as well. Yeah, no, it's um, uh, this will now be fascinating radio while while somebody looks something up on the internet. But yeah, it's called uh, (laughs) (laughs) it's called Monster, the A to Z of zoo form. There we go. go. Thank you. Yes, the that is the the lovely uh, part that we have Google right on our phones next to us, (laughs) even though Skype has taken up our computer. Um, So we can't, we cannot speak about the uk without me asking you your opinion on specifically in the uk bigfoot yeah i mean it's uh again this is the problem where it comes down to are we dealing with a flesh and blood creature you know because uh from a from a scientific zoological point of view it just can't happen. We are, we're, we're, we're this tiny little island. Um, you know, we're this tiny sort of, we've got metropolitan areas. Uh, you know, you're, you're never sort of, you know, more than 30 miles from the sea. Yeah, it's, we, are, we are not a big place. Um, and the amount of areas that offer uh, sort of, you know, um, hiding places for, you know, with, with something that is described as being anything from 7 to 12 feet high and, you know, weighing anything from 700 to 1200 pounds, um, is just, just doesn't make sense. But again, you know, can we, can we really dismiss, um, all the eyewitness testimony, you know, people are seeing things out there and they're describing them in really good detail. Um, and they're investigating them and they're finding, you know, sort of, antidotal evidence that that there's maybe something to them um i have a real hard time it's like sort of when we talk about dog man and things like that as well um you know that sort of the 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 cryptids that we're forever looking for a a different name for (laughs) um but you know i for me, it's a little bit harder to accept those things as you know as flesh and blood creatures if they're here in the UK because mm-hmm. it just doesn't make sense. But you know, if you look at certain cathedrals, if you look at certain buildings, you know you have these depictions of the wood woes, you know these animals, uh, these sort of wild men of the woods, and that sort of thing. Um, and um, you know you've got to ask yourself. What were they seeing? What were what were they what were they depicting? And what about the idea of subterranean Bigfoot? Do you guys have anything uh, cave systems there, or any anything where they could live uh, subterranean style? Yeah, well, we have. I mean, in terms of massive connected cave systems, not so much. Um, We certainly have you know relatively small cave systems throughout the southwest and, and the southeast we have cave systems um most of them tend to be pretty big tourist attractions so they're they're pretty wow. well they're pretty well explored and so forth but 
you know, we are we have our fair share of abandoned binds. We have our fair share of of natural cave systems, which are out there and a little bit out of the way, which are more difficult to explore. Um, you know, um, I, there are certainly uh, you know uh, stories of you know sort of private estates with with underground basements that link, and you know sort of government installations which link to these mm. cave systems. And, yeah, you know, we've. we've We've got all the same conspiracies you guys have, so uh, yeah. Uh, so the, the, there is a possibility. That, yeah, let, let's say it's a subterranean creature, or, or uh, there is that small possibility that they've um, that, that they are there. You know. Um, yeah, one of my favorite books of all time, and it, it's a grand, sweeping scale of a story and a wonderful idea, is The Descent. Uh, have you actually read the oh. the book, The Descent? I think it's so much better than the movie, of course. It, it is so much better. Isn't it amazing? I, I think I've read it, and I've read The Descent three times, and I've read the, oh, it's escaping me. It always does. The the subsequent book, uh, the sequel. Um, uh, um. <laughs> I can't think of it right now, but I've read that, and that's not nearly as good to me as just the original The Descent. I've read that three times, but they, the idea of an entire world under our feet, and no matter how primitive they may be, and if we can even call them humans, and that was a big contention in the book, but the idea of that may be happening with some of these Bigfoot, I, I don't know. But I think as time goes on, like you said, it just becomes harder and harder to believe that they are 100% in this world. I don't understand why we're not getting anything. It does get very frustrating. Oh, it does. And, and you know, I mean, as, as, as you know, you, you, you've spoken to Nick Redfern, you know, you're the first guest on Into the Favours with Nick Redfern, and he's written, you know, well, literally hundreds of books now by now, but yes. um, <laughs> he's probably, probably knocked one out. Yeah, yeah, I was just going to say, he's already written one while we've been talking. <laughs> Um, but you know, Nick has in in great deal detail described his adventures. Um, you know, looking into the subterranean areas. Uh, you know, finding sort of uh, you know at least you know um, you know some evidence that something strange is is afoot and, yeah. uh, and a little bit mysterious. Um, and yeah, it is it is it is difficult to believe that that. Um, something that is completely of this world um, has proved so elusive for so long. Um, but again, it's one of those weird things, isn't it? It's, it's, you know, this is an animal that is, is reported on every single continent. You know, you've yeah. got the Yowie of Australia, you've got, uh, you know, sort of yeah, the Yeti of the Himalayas, you've got, you know, Orang Pendek of, of, Sumatra, of Sumatra, you've got, um, you know, the, the Yerin in China. The, these are, these are all hominid type animals that are, that are described by multicultures. You know. I think for me personally, once they get five foot and under, I just get a little and I'm probably going to get emails for this, but I get a little bored with them for the reports of that. I just feel like it's more, you know, of an orangutan or, or something known. Um, but once you get six foot and up, then I get a little more excited about the reports. No, I, I'm pretty, I, I'm the same way. I like my cryptids big and scary. I'm afraid. Yeah. 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 If, yeah, if it, if it, if it can't carry you off over one shoulder, <laughs> yeah, I'm not really. Exactly. <laughs> you just get out the tobacco and make them sick and then they'll let you go. Right. <laughs> Pretty bad B move out of it. That's, they? Yeah, that's right. You're like, well, I'm just camping with a Bigfoot. It's time to go. Let's make him throw up a little bit. I'll be good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, and we may have already covered it because it might be Bigfoot. But as far as just the entire world, is there 
a cryptid, I mean, obviously big cats are, are high on your list, and you've already seen one of the so-called cryptid, which it's really not, big cats in the UK. But as far as like a Bigfoot or, let's be silly, a Jersey Devil or a Chupacabra, is there anything besides these cryptid cats that you just feel like, yeah, I really feel that that could be, that could be out there. It's not just people making up stories. Well, I mean, I mean, I think in terms of the evidence in 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 the US particularly, of and uh, I think I've shared with you when I was camping in California, I had a very strange encounter when I was camping on my own in Southern California, where something bipedal ran past my tent um, yes. And, yes. and made itself known. Um, I have absolutely no way of knowing if that was a person, which is, to be honest, slightly more scary than the idea. Of, um, <laughs> uh, yep, I've said that before. People are freaking scary when yeah. they're running around your tent. They don't know if you're armed or not. They're, they're, what in the hell well, is wrong with these people? Well, that's the thing is because like, yeah, because obviously we we don't have guns in the UK. So you know, yeah. so when you when you've travels to California and, and you're camping and you're sort of excited and you're you think, oh, you know, I'm, you know, and I'm listening to all the bird calls that I haven't heard before. And, oh, that's brilliant. That's a so-and-so. And, you know, uh, and, and then you sort of, you know, you hear something approaching your tent and not make, you know, making itself quiet down and just going, there's a reason this campsite where well, I'm the only person here, isn't there? <laughs> I've read this. I know what happens next. Sort of thing. You're like, I am living in one of the books that I have read. Now, what what time? Refresh. Let's just tell the story a little bit for the listeners, because I know the story. But we now that you're kind of teasing it, let's let's just tell them what time of night it was. And, you know, were you there by yourself? And. Oh yeah, I mean, it, basically, I'd, I'd, it was two thousand and nine. I'd uh, basically decided to um, uh, sort of uh, uh, go to California to follow the grey whale migration, um, and, and uh, you know, it was uh, my first ever time in in America. Um, I, I'd been kayaking with uh, a grey whale and calf in the morning in, in a place called uh, La Jolla, um, and basically, I. I'd, I'd stayed one night in 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 a sort of a motel, so I'd, I'd done that. And that was a, a big bucket list moment, and then I was like, well, you know, I wanted to want to get into the you know the wildlife. I'll go and I'll go and camp, um, and I found this uh, campsite, which I, I know when I emailed you, I, I told you the name, but I can't remember it. Um, uh, but uh, basically, I found this campsite. Um, little to did I know that um, a, a few months before this particular campsite and in this national park had had a forest fire. So it wasn't the most popular place on the, on the planet at the time. Um, but, um, I found it, I, I got myself, um, you know, settled, um, I, I made myself something to eat, um, you know, sort of, um, sun was going down um, suddenly realized that it, you know, in California, it could be absolutely baking during the uh, the, the day and really quite cold at night. <laughs> um, and decided that was a good time to, you know, uh, sort of um, retreat to the tent. Um, and, so, you know, did a bit of reading, kept myself amused. As I said, I was listening to bird calls. I, was, I, I wasn't looking for, for cryptids. I was there investigating, you know, I was, I was there to follow the, the grey worm migration. And basically... Um, I think it was one o'clock in the morning when I was aware of something approaching the tent, um, and it it what it, it, it 
what got my attention is that I could hear it breathing, um, and the, and it was very clearly bipedal. There was, uh, um, it was almost, it, it approached, I reckon it was about eight feet away, whatever it was or whoever it was, um, when it made itself known by sort of, you know, doing the, you know, sort of the bis, this big exhale of, of breath. And obviously since then, I've, I've, I've noticed that this is something reported in Bigfoot reports quite regularly it does this sort of uh, well who the hell are you and what are you doing in my territory kind of thing um and i sat bolt upright obviously was um i i at this point i did think it was a person i was thinking like uh, you know a game warden's come along or you know somebody's about to say you know you shouldn't be here or, or whatever um and i can't quite remember i think i called out i think i said who's there or is somebody there and that is when all hell broke loose and whatever what was bizarre is that my car wasn't too far away the the the, to describe the area i'd set my tent up with uh basically on one side there was a corridor of about a foot between that and the brush and then on the other side it was all completely open it was the gravel car park and so forth. And what was bizarre is that this, whatever it was, decided to run down the narrow corridor of the tent, um, which led straight back into the woods. Um, and as it did so, um, basically, it was a real thumping of the feet. It was a bang, bang, bang as it was going past. Uh, and what happened was that it the way I imagined it was that when you run and you're running fast, you throw out your hand to to give yourself balance. And it looked like basically the tips of its fingers or whoever's fingers it was ran along the side of the tent. Mm, um, yeah. And then what was bizarre is that I wasn't aware of this thing until it was eight feet away. And then again, the moment it was about it passed the tent and it was another eight feet away it went completely silent. And I was like, is it still there? <laughs> yeah, yeah, whatever it was and so forth. Obviously, that was about as much sleep as I got that night. Um, <laughs> and yeah. literally, first, first daybreak, I was out of there sort of thing. Was there any sign when you woke up? I'm sure you didn't go very deep into the woods. I wouldn't either, but... No, at all. I, I did look down the... The sort of the the, the, the corridor that it, that it had ran down. I didn't see anything. But this is that's again, it it makes me very confused and and you know invert the impacts that I heard. There should have been impact craters mm-hmm. um, right along the um, the yeah. This thing should have been making um, you know this should this thing should have left a trail a mile wide literally. Um, Do you think there's any way that could have been? I don't know why a 350-pound man would be running next to your tent in the middle of the night. However, is there any <laughs> no, way that a large person could even uh, create an impact like that so you could hear it that loudly inside your tent? I think the only – the answer is it always could be. Um, he would have had to hike quite a fair way up the trail because um, otherwise I would have heard a car engine. Um, he would have had to be fairly quiet in doing that for me not to to have heard him, um, and also he didn't he didn't approach from the trail side or the or the road side. Mm-hmm. He approached from the woods, and that was again, if it is a guy, I'm 
pretty sure I, that I'm glad to have been out there first thing. <laughs> yeah, it's very interesting, though. You said the other the other direction would have been all gravel, right out to the parking lot and whatnot. Well, I, I mean, you know, I would have heard it. I would have heard right. it coming. Yeah. You know, um, see, I love that story. I remember that story. So I'm glad that uh, that you brought that up to tell everyone. So, and, and, but yeah, for, if I really wanted to see something, or if I really wanted, to, in terms of the wish list, I would. You know, I know Vic Cundiff always says, you know, be careful what you wish for. But I would, I would love to see a dog man, and um, because I'm completely fascinated by them, um, the idea that there's a bipedal canine out there, or you know, that people are reporting, um, and it's just the strange elements, like the fact that when it stands up, people report this popping sound. Yeah. From a biological point of view, that just fascinates me. I was like, that's such a bizarre characteristic to throw in. If you're making this stuff up, you know, you know, whoever came up with the idea that, you know, the hips make a popping sound when it stands up, that's a bizarre thing to throw in there if, right. if you're making Yeah, I think a DDoS, um, whatever number that was, he mentioned that, didn't he, in his, yeah. his account? Exactly, yeah, exactly. and and it's it's come up a few times. So, so I, I was listening to, I think it was episode ninety four, sort of recently, and and they were they were saying, you know, it made this popping sound, as it yeah. now either it's a cultural thing, and people have cottoned on, and they're and, and you know, and, and they're describing it, but. I find it strange that these people are describing these things in detail. They're showing consistency. Um, they're not really varying too much from the from the, um, the sort of the the norm as such. Um, uh, you know, they're, they're they're describing attributes and behaviour that I can relate to in the natural world, or that would at least you know, arouse my curiosity. You know, that, so, for instance, there must be a biological reason why why they're hearing this popping sound. That sounds like movement of the hips or a slightly unnatural movement of the hips, like it's like something's adapted. Um, so that that's kind of interesting. And that, that, that sort of, um, I imagine that having said that, if I ever saw a dog man, I, I would regret ever saying, I wish, I wish I could see one. Yeah, then you're like, why did I say that? I'm never going to go yeah. camping again. Exactly. Um, and yeah, in terms of the things that could be out there, yeah, I think a, a, the Bigfoot is probably, you know, or Sasquatch and is is pretty much that's the thing that, again, there, there seems to be this, this, this uh, a good weight of, of, of reliable eyewitness and scientific evidence, you know, that, you know, if you look at, you know, Bins and Angle and, um, you know, sort of, um, uh, the the other guy who's on I can't remember his name now. That's, uh, um, but uh, uh, you know we've got scientific you know people looking at you know who are lending their weight to that to the Sasquatch argument. Um, so um, it, it's not completely out there. It's not completely dismissible. Um, and I think of all the things that could be out there, then, you know that that that's one. Thing. Well, I think your Willow Creek esque story, your tent story, is a good place to end. But let's let's describe your books a little bit, and I would call them fiction based on on fact. But how would you describe Shadow Beast and the Daughters of the Darkness? Yeah, no, that's pretty much that's pretty much a good way. They are fiction based on fact. Um, as I say, I like my monsters, so things do become a bit more monstrous towards the end, and and there are some cryptid Easter eggs in there. But you know, uh, so Shadow Beast is very much set in the UK. It's set in the Scottish Highlands. Um, there are real life cases and examples 
mentioned in the book. So in the 1980s, for instance, we found Felicity the Puma, who actually was found in the village of Canuck, which is where, where Shadow Beast is set. Um, uh, there are uh, there are more famous cases that I mentioned. So probably the most famous cryptid cat in the UK is the Beast of Bodmin, which was you know the one that was hunted down by uh, sort of the Royal Marine snipers and um, was 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 said to have claimed over um, three hundred um, livestock uh, by by nineteen eighty seven. Um, that's mentioned in the book as well. So if you're interested in cryptids or you're interested in these mystery big cats, there's a lot to keep you entertained. And um, you know, and if you if you like your monster stories or your creature features, then there's there's plenty to keep you entertained as well. So yes, and they are both on Amazon, and of course, anywhere fine books are sold, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, in America, um, you can pretty much walk into any bookstore, and and uh, uh, both Shadow Beast and the Daughters of the Darkness, which as we've pretty much covered is the reason it's called the daughters of darkness is because it's set in Savo. There's a, a legacy, you know, to the Savo lions that is hinted at. Um, uh, so, but it does continue the story of the main characters in, in, in shadow beast as well. So, um, but yes, available on Amazon available in, in, in all good booksellers, particularly in America. Um, so yeah, you should be able to get one from your, your local, local bookseller or, or on amazon.com. So, well, I cannot wait to read The Daughters of the Darkness. And I have to tell you on air, uh, Luke, thank you for letting me be a part of that because you uh, flattered me by asking me for a quote for the back of the book. So I wanted to say thank you very much for allowing me to do that. Oh, no, thank you very much for the quote. I, I, I can tell you that my book designers absolutely loved it. They they were saying, what a great quote. And, uh, yeah, and I love the fact that it's, it's um, you know, this is a, a journey that we've, we've kind of all taken together, really. You know, it's one of the great things about Into the Fray is that, you know, we're on Facebook, we talk to each other, we, we, we interact in these conversations. And this is something that, you know, we've spoken about the ghost and darkness so many times and that sort of stuff, but it, it, would, it felt right to have um, have your name on it as well. So. Oh, thank you, Luke. As you said to me in an email, uh, what's a what's a, a very large pond as far as the separation of friends, and it's nothing yeah. because we get to talk all the time. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, goodness knows what what's in that pond anyway. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, a whole other show, right? In yeah, fact, if you know, if you start gathering some more reports or you get some sort of a big cat flap or something, I would love to have you back on and have you kind of be my contact across the pond for any UK cryptid stuff going on. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, as I said to you, you know, my, my first cryptid love affair began in Loch Ness. Yes. So, um, yeah, so absolutely, I would be very, very happy to talk monsters with you anytime. So. Thank you so much, Luke. In fact, I don't know if you saw this before we hopped on, but I posted a picture. I think it was from Coast to Coast. You know, they, they'll they pick up whatever comes over the paranormal oh, AT, the new photo of Nessie. And I'm like, it's some poor guy like drowning some in the lake. You could see his head and an arm. Hey, you guys. Yeah, he's like, hello, my kayak flip. Can you help me? And people are just yeah. taking pictures like, it's, it's Loch Ness. It's Nessie. Loch Nessie, yeah. I mean, and oh, I, I, I loved all the comments. Uh, you know, the poor bloke <laughs> just dropped his ear and... 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so yeah, bring help. I've dropped my keg. You know? Yeah, I, my six pack is gone. Someone bring bring some more. <laughs> and and yeah, and that that is that would be a yeah a real emergency in Scotland. <laughs> Absolutely, that's an emergency here too. Uh, before we go though, let people know where to find you. Besides the books, they know where to find the the fantastic books. But what about you personally? Yeah, okay, so you can find Black Beast Books on Facebook, so please go on to the Black Beast Books uh, Facebook page, like the page, um, say hello, um, I'm uh, I'm also on Facebook as Luke Phillips, and you know, I'm very friendly and, and we're happy to talk to you. Um, I have a blog which explores um, both the fiction and non-fiction side of, of, my, of the things I look into, especially monsters, um, which is um, blackbeastsandboogiemen.com. Um, so uh, you know, go there as well. Check out uh, again. Leave a uh, leave a, uh, a message on the blog, and I'll, I'll be in touch as well. And uh, uh, yeah, I'm on Twitter as Black Beast Books, um, and on Instagram as Black Beast Books as well. So yes, you have a strong yes. online presence, which is good. That's one way of putting it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or a massive ego, whichever way. No, <laughs> not at all. Thank you very much. Well, Luke, I uh, appreciate you coming on, and let's do this again soon. And maybe we could do uh, the old water cryptids or um, whatever you want. We'll just uh, yeah. we'll, we'll get well, on yeah. and banter about it again. Exactly. No, we haven't we haven't even touched on sea serpents and lake monsters. Uh, uh, yeah, no, no I, ITF has not, so that's long overdue. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, given the wonderful artwork that obviously depicts a, a lake monster, I think it's um, yeah. it's, it's got to be done. Absolutely, let's do it. Cool. All right, Luke. Thank you so much. You have a good uh, good evening there across the pond. Yeah, you. Yeah, and have a wonderful rest of your day, Shannon. Thank you very much. Thanks, Luke. We'll talk soon. Cheers. <laughs> bye bye. Well, I'm so and so. I was given this name by my parents. I've been to such and such a college. I've done these things in my profession. I produce a little bar. Buddha says, forget it. That's not true. That's some story. That's all gone. That's all past. I want to see the real you. You are now. Nobody knows who that is, because we don't uh, know ourselves except through listening to our echoes and consulting our memories. But then there's a real evil, and that again leads us back to this question, uh, who are you? That is the real evil. We shall see how they play with this exam by the cohorts to get you to come out of your shell and find out who you really are.
reincarnation, that after your funeral, you know, you will suddenly become somebody different, living somewhere else. They will say reincarnation means this, that if you sitting here now are really convinced that you're the same person who walked in at the door half an hour ago, you're being reincarnated. If you are liberated, you understand that you're not. The past doesn't exist. The future doesn't exist. There is only the present. That's the only real you that there is. The Zen master Dogen put it in this way. He said, spring does not become something. First there is something, and then there is spring. Thank you. 